As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Welcome to this episode of On Farm. It's Monty here, sitting in my truck, top of the hill, with a blizzard blown around about. Between that, lockdown, and, you know, just all the kind of serious things happening around us at the moment, and we covered, what, climate change, Brexit, the last couple of episodes. Hope you've enjoyed them, but they were on the serious side. We decided for this episode, we would do something a little bit different, um, give you a wee bit of entertainment, hopefully. Basically, since the start of lockdown last year, as it were, ACYFC, Scottish Young Farmers, have been running occasional sort of live events via Facebook. Young Farmers is all about meeting up and socialising and, you know, if they can't do it in person, then virtual has to be the next best thing. So, last week, last week they did a session with Rob Wainwright as a guest speaker. And Rob, as some of you will know, certainly those of you of my kind of vintage, is a former Scotland rugby captain, played for the Lions, uh, flanker, and Rob now farms on the beautiful Isle of Col. Rob was also a teammate and a great friend now of Doddy Weir. So Rob is a bit of a hero and a leading light in the fundraising effort that Doddy's involved with to help him and others battle MND. At the moment, as you'll hear from Rob, they're running a Scotland-wide competition to get everyone involved in exercising and raising money for the My Name's Doddy Foundation through the whole of January. I'll not say much more about that because you're going to hear from Rob. I believe the fundraising is paying off um, and only last week there was a very welcome piece of news about a major breakthrough from Edinburgh University. As you'll hear, it's great to see that money making a difference, basically. For now, for now, you might be glad to hear this. That's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over for pretty much the rest of this episode to brother and sister team Leanne and Ali Brunton. Both are young farmers, uh, members of their clubs in Fife. Ali um, farms in Fife and also, I believe, plays a bit of rugby. And Leanne grew up on the family farm too. And she's now a sports physiotherapist in Edinburgh, working with uh, rugby players at ASRU. So we decided that between them, what a perfect pair to host the chat with Rob Wainwright for an SAYFC on the sofa evening. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to our latest Facebook Live event. The hosts this evening are myself, Leanne Brunton, and my brother, Ali Brunton. 
We are excited that this evening's event will be recorded for the On Farm podcast, which will be released on Monday. So a big thanks to everyone over at Seen and Heard for your help. I'd now like to introduce our guest for the evening, Rob Wainwright. Uh, Rob was capped 37 times for the Scottish rugby team and also toured with the British and Irish Lions to South Africa in 1997. Since retiring from rugby, Rob has moved to the, into agriculture and is now farming on the Isle of Col in the Inner Hebrides. So over to you, Rob. Uh, good evening, uh, Ali, Leanne. Lovely to be here and greetings from an amazing day on the Isle of Col. The way the weather works, if it's lovely here, it probably means it's been horrible with you. Uh, so bad luck on that, but uh, uh, delighted to be here and look forward to um, answering questions, talking about farming on the Isle of Col, um, talking maybe about some rugby stuff from yesteryear and possibly about Doddy Aid as well, the, uh, the big event that we're organising for my great friend and former teammate, Doddy Weir, who's a MND we will all be aware of, I'm sure. If you were just, yeah, you could kick us off from a life, life at Glen Armand or... Exactly, yeah. Well, um, was uh, born many, many years ago, 55 years ago in Perth and was lucky enough to be brought up at uh, Glen Armand College where my father was a teacher, which is... A, a beautiful part of rural Persia, and B, is uh, has an amazing set of facilities for a young man to uh, to grow up with access to pools, squash courts, rugby pitches, gyms, etc. So um, truly blessed to have been brought up there and uh, subsequently went to the school and then went down uh, to study medicine at um, Cambridge when I left the school and I, I don't think I, uh, I don't know when my rugby ambitions started but I do remember going on a skiing holiday with Dr. Patterson Brown from Hoyk whose son I was at school with when I was 14 and he asked me what my ambitions were and I said I wanted to get a rugby blue for Cambridge because that's what my father had done he got a five pound note which was a lot of money for a 14-year-old back then. And he signed it and said, when you get a blue for Cambridge, you come back to me and I'll, I'll, I'll give you another fiver. One of his other sons was probably at Cambridge at the time and, and about to get a blue himself. So, so I stored my fiver and went down to Cambridge. In my first term there, which was the rugby term, I had a knee injury, so I wasn't actually able to play rugby. So... I was desperate to get a blue in anything. That's what uh, the way things are in sporting circles down at, at Cambridge University. So I joined the boxing club and uh, uh, I wasn't a very good boxer, but I, I, I could run around the ring quite, quite, you know, quite the thing. And uh, I managed to get into the, the varsity match boxing team, which was a, a nine bout competition, which Cambridge hadn't won for nine years. And it was in the... Guild Hall in Cambridge, which was a bit of a bear pit. And uh, if we talk about great sporting occasions that I've, I've witnessed or been involved in in, in my life, like this would be right up there in, in the top five. Because when I went to, into the ring, it was 4-0. As we started with the 
light welterweight or whatever the lightest weight is, the bantam weights, and, uh, and worked our way up to the heavyweights, which is where I was. And you didn't even need to be that heavy to be a heavyweight. I think the lower boundary of heavyweight was 12 stone eight. And I think I just scraped into heavyweight. But when I came in, we were four all, and there were, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of drunken students from both sides there, but they were being for blood. And as luck would have it, uh, a lucky punch in the second round put down uh, the poor South African chap from Oxford uh, who I was fighting against. And uh, uh, and I won it, and it's the first uh, first time I've ever experienced, you know, uh, sporting euphoria to that level. It was an unbelievable moment to be, you know, carried out the ring on drunken shoulders and uh, the toast of the town for one night. So I started off my sporting career uh, post school with with a boxing blue, and then subsequently, as my knee got better, I. Uh, I managed to get uh, into the rugby team and, and earned my five pounds from Dr. Passon Brown from Hoyt. And when he did it, he uh, he said, I could give you this one, but um, do you want to play Dublin quits and, and see if you can get uh, a Scotland cap? And if you get a Scotland cap, then I'll give you I'll give you two fibers, uh, two more fibers. So there was quite a gap. Given this bet was made when I was 14, I didn't get my first cap until I was 26. <laughs> It was uh, it was quite a gap, quite a gap. Sorry, uh, but I did eventually uh, break in to the, the Scotland setup uh, towards the end of my my six years at, at Cambridge University studying medicine. So I was stuck down in uh, in Cambridge, which is a, a beautiful town, but it's not really the sort of countryside around it that a person from Scotland would be used to. And yeah, I was ready to come home, but. I began to, you know, be on the edge of of the Scotland setup, and I was lucky enough to go to the Hong Kong Sevens in 1989 uh, with the Barbarians, and Finley Calder was the captain of the team, and and actually had just been appointed Lions captain for the 1989 Lions tour to Australia, so it was huge excitement to be to be uh, playing with him and. The key thing I got from it is that I, I was only 24 at that time, but beginning to think that international rugby might not ever be be for me um, because I hadn't made my, my full break. But Finley told me he didn't get his first cap until he was 29, which uh, he, he was in my position uh, in the back row of Scotland. So that was a, a huge lift for me. And uh, two years later, I, I did get my first cap. You know, I still had quite a few injuries to contend with through my career, but played for the next eight seasons on and off for Scotland and was lucky enough to go on the, the 1997's British Lions. Um, kind of sets you up for life being involved in a tour like that, um, particularly with the Living with the Lions video, which, um, you know, was such a, a powerful and probably first of its kind reality, you know, what's it like behind the scenes and... Uh, uh, and we we were very pally. The, the whole way the tour was set up, it was extremely well managed by Fran Cotton, and we were extremely well coached by Jim Telfer and Ian McGeehan. But the the camera team were very much part of the touring team. So um, as a result, they got access that you you could only dream of. I, I always laugh because 
the language on, on a rugby tour isn't necessarily the cleanest. And they decided to keep it very honest, the, the video. And I remember a lot of people buying it to give to their kids uh, on Christmas 1997. And I think they, a sneak preview, it was deemed probably unsuitable for young boys of a uh, of 13 or 14 it was a uh, it, it really was um fly on the wall exactly as it happened and uh, uh, a very powerful um video and wonderful to be involved in all, all careers come to an end sporting careers so in uh, 1999 or 1998 i i pretty much finished and we've been looking for somewhere up the west coast which is a, an area that I've, I've always loved and and the place that happened to be for sale was rather inconveniently on a small island in the uh, in the Hebrides, the Isle of Col. And so we ended up on an island and we moved up here on uh, the 1st of October, 1999, with a 10-week-old 10, 10 baby and 10-day-old baby, sorry, and three kids under the age of five and moved into a caravan outside a ruined farmhouse uh, and three and a half thousand acres of of uh, a wonderful farm which was mainly very boggy moorland and uh, and hadn't got a fence that was upright you know anywhere in in the whole of it and was just a big big project which uh, was still ongoing 20 years later I think I know a wee bit more now than I did then, but uh, the great thing about farming is you're you're always learning, and it's taken us that long to 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 build a system that that the animals are happy with in terms of getting the best out of them on the ground that we've got, and and I'm happy with, and we've now got um, enough to keep me busy as a single-handed farmer. We've got 450 breeding use which are clean cross cheviots and about a third of them get put to a motley collection of clean and cheviot cross and pure tups and then the rest of them go to texel or texel cross charolais tups to produce um, good lambs just uh, you know for the storing we start off with blue gray cattle and we did this bull and we did that bull and then we finally saw sense and got a ling bull and I think we're on about our third or fourth ling bull and uh, we're now very happily breeding as many as we need to the ling bull to, to give us our replacements and the rest go to a simmental uh, to produce simling heifers, which are a very popular breeding heifer, um, which we sell at Oban. And, and we've just jumped in at the deep end and, and bought our first Charlie from Gretna House, uh, where my pal Ali Houston assures me that his uh, his breeding lines are easy carving. So we could talk in three months' time and, and I could give you <laughs> my thoughts on it then. I'm very excited to, to see his easy carving, short gestation length uh, calves popping out without any assistant because... Uh, everything's outwintered here. Our, our cattle are on deferred grazing and, and cake through the winter, and there isn't really an option to bring them into a shed. If there's any real problems, we, we've we've got a small amount of silage to use, but 
everything's got to be able to do the job on its own, which is yeah, is is a challenge to some degrees, but it means that you've got to get your genetics right. So you're, you're breeding cattle that can do the job and you, management obviously is, is 50% the game. And we've been, uh, being very nice to them. If, if you can stay being on deferred grazing, which is eating heather and whatever they can find out on the hill and getting a bit of cake, if you can say that's being spoiled, then they're being relatively spoiled and, particularly the heifers who are, who are on their first uh, calf, they're, they're about to come off that and go on to even hard, harder rations to make sure that they really are producing nice, small, easy carved uh, calves that will then be up and suking and, uh, and then we can spoil them rotten and and push them to uh, to get them growing once the calves are out. So, so that's uh, a very brief resume of uh, off the cuff of... Uh, my rugby and farming career thus far. I should point out that I'm very lucky to have a wonderful wife, Remain, <laughs> who's not only mother of the, the four kids, two of whom are probably giggling through next door listening to this, and also um, put up with living in some pretty basic conditions over the last 20 years on the Isle of Col. I'm very lucky to have such a wonderful woman by my side and helping with the farm. And I think there's going to be some reference of, of mental health and being part of, a, of an amazing two-person team is the biggest protection you'll get from any uh, mental health problems, I, uh, in, in my uh, considered opinion. Definitely. We've, uh, we've had a couple of questions come in uh, from Facebook. We'll start with farming and work our way backwards through your career. First question was, uh, how many breeding cows do you have? We're aiming for 80 to, uh, 80 to 100. And it, it kind of comes back to how much can, can one man realistically handle at the, at the bottleneck points through the year. With the cattle, I really look forward to the calving. You know, again, um, having just come through Blue Monday, and I think Blue Monday is, is mainly... A, a town institution, but I, I think, you know, it was timed quite well. We had the most horrible day on Monday, uh, weather-wise, and you've come off the highs of, you know, having the family back for Christmas, and uh, and there's not a lot to look forward to bar daylight getting a wee bit longer at the beginning and end of each day. But um, carving when it starts, and I do, I start carving in February normally, it just, it gives you something to look forward to and obviously sometimes you're looking forward to something that may be a huge amount of work and a disaster but when you go out and you count the cattle when you feed them on the dunes or out on the hill and and there's one down and off you go and sometimes it takes forever to find them tucked in in their little hole out the wind uh, and and there's a, a wee calf there which it's it just you know it's what farming's all about, certainly livestock farming, and um, it gives you a big lift as you as you come out of uh, the middle of winter and Blue Monday, and and just hints of spring start to appear. So, in answer to the question, uh, about eighty, it, it varies. Where uh, where did your passion for agriculture come from? I actually was heading in a completely different direction in in my youth, uh, clearly doing medicine but I used to go and work my father got me a job in uh, one of the local farms uh, just between Glen Armand and Buckenty 
and I uh, worked with the McLaren family who owned the farm. I was working with a chap called Sinclair there, just helping out during the, the holidays with winter feeding. And uh, Carol McLaren is now, or was with the uh, with QMS for quite a while, actually. She was just a, uh, a young primary school girl at, at the time, but um, she's now actually working at... at uh, at Glen Armand College, so uh, I, I, that's linked around, and I, I see a bit of her. And uh, but I, we got over here, and you know, working with livestock is becomes slightly addictive, doesn't it? And we had a real motley collection of cows when we started, and uh, and 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 sheep. Uh, we 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 bought a whole load of blackies, and then realised we didn't want to be in blackies, so we. We've been we've been crossing ever since crossing out of where we started. We had blue greys that we've been turning into lings via Angus and Simmental and you name it. But I suppose my two great pleasures uh, out of livestock are, are cattle. I just absolutely love cattle, but I love sheep because then I can work collies, and I, I love collies. I think. Um... One of the main things with farming and something that's been in the media quite a lot in the last few years is sort of how isolated um, agriculture is. And um, obviously you're on the Isle of Col, very, very remote. It's quite important for people to have something outside of farming to work on, you know, a hobby, um, really good for their mental health. Um, what do you do outside of, outside of work? Do you have any hobbies? I heard that um, you've done a bit of falconry in the past. I've, I've had a lot of hobbies. I've, I'm a great man finding things to enjoy outside work. When we first got up here, I was flying hawks and, and falcons. I'm extremely keen fisherman as well. When I finished with professional rugby, you kind of the last thing you want to do is, is spend any time exercising. You want to go and escape and do all the things you weren't able to do, and uh, particularly to go fishing. I love my fishing, but... But of late, I've, I've got caught up, uh, as I said, exercising professionally. When when I, I finished, I didn't want to exercise at all. So I didn't do anything from 1999, really, until uh, into 2012, when uh, someone stuck me on a bike for a charity event. And uh, I got an instant wow off riding a, a road bike. I remember exactly where it was. It was an event where we were riding from Edinburgh in relay from Edinburgh to London to Cardiff to Dublin and back to Edinburgh and somewhere in just over the border in the Northumbrian hills uh, I think it's I, I can even picture the caravan park way up in the top of the hills on the A68 uh, I got on a, a, a road bike and it was an instant wow and so I've been cycling hard ever since so so, yeah, I've, I've got plenty to keep me busy uh, outside the farm. Great. Um, I'm actually really glad you mentioned fishing because I had an interesting conversation <laughs> with um, Scott Hastings earlier. <laughs> so he was telling me about um, your tour. It was a Scotland tour to Australia. I think you were in Darwin in 92. <laughs> and uh, you were a few floors up and you had your fishing rod. And um, you discovered that the Australian ladies hockey team were a few floors below you. 
So you decided to have a wee competition as to who could who could catch the most um, underwear that was hanging up in the women's balcony. Well, Scott clearly <laughs> bo- borrowed my tackle for that, but it, it, it does take me to another very funny story because we, we were in Darwin and Kenny Milne and myself, Kenny Milne was a Scotland hooker at the time, and I, I had my rod and he was a keen fly fisherman as well. So we we said we'd go fishing out in the sea and we could see, you know, there was you could see a lot of action going on out to sea and we started to wade out onto these flats and there were these kind of druggy looking hobo types lying on the beach uh, and they were shouting across to us and they were going, you can't go in there, you can't go in there and, and we were kind of <laughs> muttering under our breath, well, go wherever we bloody want, you know, and, uh, and we went out and we fished away you know, we had a great time and caught a few wee fish and we came back in and we told someone what we'd done and they looked absolutely horror struck and they said, God, you're lucky to be alive. There's salty, salties, uh, <laughs> saltwater crocodiles there and box jellyfish, which uh, if they brush your leg, you know, you die very painfully. So Kenny Milne's always held it against me that, uh, that I took him out and put him in such danger in the, the seas off the Northern Territories in, in Australia. <laughs> Hi, Monty here again. Sorry to just interrupt proceedings here. I know I said that um, I'd hand the show over. Just a quick point I'd like to make about young farmers and the effect that lockdown is having on SAYFC and the local young farmers clubs throughout Scotland. I think the clubs, they do a great job. Um, They do a great job in combating rural isolation and loneliness, bringing young people together. Obviously, in lockdown, that isn't physically possible, but things like this evening's chat with Rob Wainwright and other virtual events um, do keep the ball rolling. But they do struggle as well because, um, yeah, they can't physically do the fundraising efforts, etc., that they would normally do both for their own club funds, SEYFC funds, and the charity work they do. And basically, I guess this is just a bit of a plea to say, in some ways, remember, charity begins at home. If you are uh, an ex-young farmer like myself, and you want to maybe get involved with the Friends of Young Farmers scheme, which will allow you to support your local club and SEYFC, please look at their website and get some more information about the Friends of Young Farmers Uh, membership Um, please just please try and help because if we lose our clubs if we lose the young farmers movement we lose much more than that we lose um, glue that keeps uh, young people together in rural areas and we lose this army of people who are willing to go that extra mile for charity and and support things like Doddy Aid and RSABI and other charitable work so yeah please Please remember that and please try and support young farmers as well as everything else that needs a bit of support at this difficult time. Thanks. Mental health's become talked about more openly within agriculture. It's a real issue, the the number of uh, suicides within the agricultural industry. It's well known that regular exercise is great for the body and the mind and your most recent movement with Doddy Aid has not only been a great fundraiser, but it's also been a great support for those uh, that are struggling through the pandemic. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about Doddy Aid? Yeah, Doddy Aid is um, 
you know, there's two two parts to this question. Really, there's uh, I probably deal first with you know with exercise and and well being, and uh, I'm a huge fan of that. I certainly get uh, a real lift from from doing exercise. It's uh, not necessarily always fun to do outside, but now we've you know we've got I've got it's mainly cycling I do, and I've got a static bike inside, and it, it's it's a very important part of my you know, weekly schedule is to have uh, three or four nice rides uh, a week. And I, I do feel it's extremely good for your well-being and I w- would encourage anyone uh, to to factor it into your life uh, to make it, uh, make it a priority. It is, uh, r- rather than being something that's tagged on if there's time, I, I certainly try and build it into my schedule, which my wife can find frustrating, but uh, I, I think it's good for me. And in terms of keeping going as a farmer and lifting up 25 kilo stacks, uh, you know, well into my 60s, I think exercise is a very important part of the future investment for the farm. So that's how I justify it. But uh, in terms of Doddy aid, uh, Doddy, um, I don't think I need to say anything to the people listening about uh, how we all feel about Doddy's uh, an inspirational character um, in in a very Scottish way in that we are all uplifted by the courage and fortitude he's shown in dealing with his diagnosis. But we love a sense of humour in Scotland and the fact that he can do the whole thing, always looking for the next joke and with a smile on his, uh, on his lips, uh, at all times is is an immensely uh, attractive set of attributes and uh, and and Doddy is just a, an icon now of, of MND fundraising he's raised he has raised or caused to be raised seven million pounds now for MND research and support for people with MND in Scotland uh, so he's done uh, amazing things and and my hope is that some of the treatments, obviously, we've had great news this this week that there's been a potential breakthrough in uh, in identifying a problem with mitochondria in the neurons and repurposing drugs. These are drugs that have been used for other purposes, uh, which they may not have been very good at, but they've passed all the safety checks, and they can be used to uh, they can be very quickly implemented if they're proven to have the desired effect. So. Uh, very exciting and uh, partly funded. This research was partly funded by My Name is Doddy Foundation. So um, Doddy was diagnosed four years ago and it gives me a, a huge amount of satisfaction and pleasure to to do things, uh, to raise money for it, as I'm sure is the same for many of the people listening because the support he has had from the rural community in Scotland has been fantastic. We started off, the first thing we did was an exercise challenge. It didn't quite take off the way that Doddy Aid has taken off. But um, three years ago, we did that. And we ended up with a, a march of a thousand headbands in Rome. Probably, you know, the, the most exciting moment I can remember from, from the Doddy fundraising was turning up to Piazza del Popolo um, with a bag of a thousand headbands to be confronted by... 3,000 people all wanting them. And uh, it was uh, a bit like the the second last scene of Trading Places, if you've seen that film, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. 
where they're on the New York Stock Exchange floor and they uh, sell it manically. And and it was, we were almost drowning in people who were waving cash or phone with proof of their donation uh, at us. And then there was the terrible, the bag is empty and all the people saying, where's my headband? I've paid for it already. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a great moment. We're coming up with with other crazy things to try and encourage people to uh, uh, to get involved in, and donate. Um, a week on Saturday, we're doing uh, a world in a day. This is with Mark Bowman, who uh, cycled around the world in 80 days uh, two years ago, or almost three years ago now. And uh, we're going to, instead of doing it 80 days, we're going to try and get 80 people from each of the district teams in Dordier to... Uh, to do 240 miles or teams of people to do 240 miles in the day on, on the 30th of January. So anyone that is listening that fancies doing uh, 60 miles with three mates or any real nutters want to do 240 miles uh, or between uh, 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. on Saturday the 30th, I'm seeing two Bruntons here not meeting my eye. <laughs> Uh, but we, we, we've got that that coming up, and uh, and and then we we finish up the the whole event on uh, kickoff for the Calcutta Cup. I'm fundraising for a great friend <laughs> who's needing needing help, and and the whole, as I said, the whole of the rural community has reacted so positively to to Dodie's call to arms, and and I think that we will see significant effects from that. We've just a couple of question more questions for you, and then we'll have to wrap it up. But um. So yeah, I've got one that I've been dying to ask all night. What moisturiser do you use? Or do you do a Shania Twain and rub the udder oil on? <laughs> what moisturiser do I use? Uh, uh, Hebridean sea air, I think is the answer to that. So, and, uh, and, and soup when I wash, that's about it. So, uh, um, fresh air, fresh air and exercise. Uh, uh, no moisturiser, I'm afraid. I could have done with a shave before coming on, uh, coming on air. Sorry about that. I was going to ask you, what advice would you give your twenty-year-old self? Oh wow, that's a, uh, I, I, I could be earnest about it and uh, and and uh, repeat many of the the wisdoms that we've discussed tonight about being positive. But I suppose the the advice I'd give anyone, including my twenty-year-old self, is uh, is aim high and chase your, your dreams and what seems like a mountain to climb when you set off on any venture, if you take it in steps, these small victories that we discussed earlier on, mountains can shrink to being quite small as you climb up them. So set your sights high. If you don't hit your goal, whatever your goal is, you're still going to end up a lot higher up the mountain than you would have been if you decided not to try at all. So, yeah. Dream big and uh, aim high and set yourself some pretty ambitious goals and chase your dream. Well, thank you very, very much for giving up your time tonight. Um, it's been a pleasure um, hearing all about your life and I'm sure everyone will agree. I think we'll end it there. We'll let you go and have your dinner. I know you've been <laughs> it's been waiting for a while. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Monty here again. I'm just going to pick up for a minute at the end and just say thank you very much to Ali and Leanne Brunton. What a brilliant job. Well done. You put me to shame. 
And also, what a great chat with uh, Rob Wainwright, the Doddy Gump fundraising founder. What a guy. I just want to, as we always do, say a quick thanks to all of those we've spotted recently sharing and saying nice things about us on social media. There's our good friend Martin Dare of Rural Projects, Amanda Brown at SOS, the Scotland Food and Drink Twitter account, Robert Logan, Heather Weldman, and I'm sure many, many more. We're so grateful. As always, it really helps to spread the word. Now, just before I go, you might not know this, um, Doddy Weir is a farming neighbour of mine, and one of the first um, on-farm podcasts I was ever involved in, way back last year, it seems like ages ago now, when we launched, was a chat with Doddy. Gosh, I was nervous. Maybe I still sound so nervous when I record these, but hey-ho. But yeah, way back last year, I decided to go and knock the door of the big man, and um, we had a great chat. We've got some store cattle in now. I do like to have a bit of cattle around the place, so store calves back in to see how they go. We were talking about that on the way up here, Doddy. It was, it was, we used to see you racing around here on a two-wheel motorbike, and that was you checking your stock and what have you, and it is hard that you're not able to do that now. Well, you see that, though, Monty. You see, this is where I think it's, it's all wrong, because it's adapting to the issue. So maybe don't go on the, on the two-wheel motorbike. We've got a four-wheel motorbike. Yeah. That we have a shot on, don't give it. But again, that was getting a bit hard. I got stuck in the bank another day because my thumb's quite weak to try and pull it. So we've got a four wheel drive machine now just to allow me to go out and go around the stock. If you want to go back and listen to it, it was number five in the On Farm series. I think you might understand why it was number five, a big number for the, a big special number rather for Doddy. So I suppose, I suppose with that, um, that's it from me and bye for now. See you next time.